Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show planned. Phil, who's on today? Yeah, we got Arturo Barrientos and uh, Arturo is a just a, such a wise man and he's a guy that has become a good friend over the last little bit. Um, for me, he's the director of development for Casa Viva, which is a, an amazing organization in Costa Rica. Another great friend, Phil Aspagrin and his wife, Jill run the ministry there and they're doing some great stuff with foster care and reunification, uh, with family. Arturo will sh- share a little bit about that, but you definitely want to check them out, uh, casaviva.org and we'll, we'll have that in the show notes as well. Uh, today we are also going to, you know, we're going to go to the, to the interview pretty quick, uh, today, and we're going to start doing that to, so that if, if that's what you want to do, just listen to the interview, then you can do that. Um, if you are, uh, hopefully you guys want to stick around and listen to what Karen and I, you know, have to share a little bit and, and, uh, we're also going to start something today. Um, in addition to the recommendations where I'm going to, I'm going to share, um, some of the lessons I learned last year for the next five weeks, I'm going to count down. It's going to be a blog post. Actually, it's, it's already up. The blog post uh, is up on the thinkorphan.com website if you want to go check out the, 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 uh, the blog post. And that'll give you a little sneak preview into the next five weeks. But I'm going to go a little deeper into each of those lessons um, after the interview so that, uh, you know, hopefully the lessons I'm learning, you can learn right, learn right alongside me. So, um, you know, so you can stick around for that afterwards. We also invite you, as we always do, to uh, comment on what you're learning, comment uh, on any thoughts you have on how we can make the show better, any people we can be interviewing. Uh, share that with us at uh, at uh, thinkorphan.com on the Facebook page, um, you know, or sh- shoot us an email at info at thinkorphan.com. You can also be uh, reviewing and rating the show. That helps us a ton on iTunes. So with all that, uh, you know, get out your note, uh, notebook and, and a pen. And uh, I just invite you to learn from my friend Arturo Barrientos. Well, Arturo, it is so great to have you here. We finally are able to sit down across from each other and just have a great conversation about, uh, you know, really what God's doing down in Costa Rica and in different parts of Latin America. Um, And I just wanted you to be able to share a little bit right now your story, how you got to be where you are today with Casa Viva. And then we'll get into some other stuff after that. Okay. So, Phil, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity, wonderful thing to be here. And, um, yes, finally, we got together, and here we are. Uh, the first thing that I have to say is that my mother tongue is Spanish. So, I will try my best English. Okay? <laughs> so, just, you have to bear that in mind. Um, well, I got engaged in Casa Viva uh, six years ago when I knew about this ministry and I got really interested right from the start. You know, when I uh, heard that it, that it was possible in Costa Rica to uh, be a foster family, to have foster kids. So that really was interesting to me. And the thing is that in Costa Rica, churches get involved in the foster ministry. So I was a pastor in that time. I was the lead pastor of of my church. I was full-time in my church. And so I heard about this. I got really interested, and I decided to really get my church involved. But at the same time, uh, 
my wife and I uh, decided to be also a foster family. And the thing is that, I mean, we have been married for 26 years and we were not able to have kids and that was never a, a problem for us or a crisis. But you can imagine after 20 years of being together, no kids at all, suddenly we decided, you know, to have uh, foster kids in our, in our house. So, so we started and it was a real adventure at so many levels, you know. Of course, in a personal and family uh, level, but it, it, it was a real spiritual experience in so many ways. So that uh, impacted me, impacted my family, and of course that impacted the church because right from the beginning when I got the church involved, we uh, decided to be a foster family and God really taught us a lot of things. And I just shared that with our community, our faith community, and it was wonderful. So after almost six years, um, around 30 kids, you know, foster kids have gone through our church with, uh, the family, uh, with the Casa Viva ministry. So this became a passion. I mean, I have always loved, uh, children. We have always, uh, worked with children in different ways. Um, but this became a passion. And finally, around two years ago, the, the director of Casa Viva, inviting me to be part uh, full-time, you know, in, of uh, this ministry. So I really had to pray about it and take time. But finally, here I am, you know, yeah. and, and sharing with you a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. And what, what, are you, what are you doing today with, with Casa Viva? What's your role? Well, right now I am the director of development of the ministry. And actually I do a lot of things, uh, you, know, the, you know, a lot of balls in the air. Sure. Um, so I work with churches uh, and with pastors, sharing the vision and trying to get the churches and the families in those churches involved in Casa Viva, in the ministry. Um, by the way, we are the only ministry, the only organization in Costa Rica that um, is doing foster care. So that's quite particular. And we have been pioneers in Costa Rica. So I try to, to, to get the churches involved and the pastors involved. Um, so that's a whole process that you have to develop. But apart from that, I also try to look for funds, you know. Uh, so I work also with the churches, with people, with individuals, and also with businesses. So, and I do a, a few other things. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah, as always, in, in small organizations, there's <laughs> so always you know that, a few other things that we all know listening in on this that, uh, yeah, that means basically everything. So, um, no, this is something that, you know, you and I have talked a lot about getting the church involved. And, you know, I, I really want to get you back on later or Phil Aspergren, who is the, Phil and Jill Aspergren lead the ministry in, in Costa Rica, great friends. Um, and... Uh, but today I really want you to focus. We're here at CAFO. Um, and last night you were on the main stage sharing something that is so needed for us to hear. And really you were just sharing about the five, as you said, there's many more, but we only have so much time, but five challenges and, and, um, implications really that, that we have at the local church. 
um, based on scripture, based on, you know, really what, what scripture tells us about our walk and what tells us about our connection with God um, and how it, how it plays out in the orphan care movement and really how it plays out with engaging the church. I'd love for you to just share those five um, challenges and then I want to go a little bit deeper in, into each one of them um, with our time that we have together today. Might not be able to get all of them um, as deep as we want to, but uh, definitely want to share that for those people who weren't able to be here and for the people who were able to be here and just want more Arturo, because I think that's really what we all want is just more from you because you got so much wisdom in there. Um, so can you just share that with us? Yes. Well, uh, well, last night, it was a real privilege. It, it really, I, I really mean it. It's a real privilege. Um, it was a real privilege to share uh, some thoughts. And what I shared about um, had to do with the local church as a community and justice and mercy for the orphaned and for the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So I shared a little bit about the scripture, you know, just some thoughts. Uh, but the conclusion there is that definitely there is a connection between life in community uh, God's heart, his mercy, and justice for the orphan and for the vulnerable. So there is a whole connection there. Um, what I share is that we are really called to uh, share justice and mercy to uh, reach the orphan, uh, not only as individuals, but as a community. So we are kind of very used to uh, doing things, I, I don't know, by ourselves as individuals or even as families. But I don't know why it has been kind of difficult to think that as a community, um, we must really get involved, you know, all together, you know, with uh, passion, uh, you know, trying to help the orphan uh, to experience God's mercy and God's justice. So, so I had, well, last night I shared five implications uh, and challenges. The first one was that somehow uh, justice and mercy for the orphan, how we care uh, the orphan, that really measures our spirituality. So I had, I had to write an article actually two years ago for a biblical dictionary in, La in Latin America. That's going to be all over Latin America this year, actually. And um, so I had the privilege to really study the whole thing. And what I found was that one symptom that God's people uh, are far away from him is actually injustice, I guess, against the orphan. So the conclusion there is that how we care for the orphan measures our spirituality. And that's a real challenge, a real challenge for us uh, as individuals, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, but also as communities, you know. Mm -hmm. The second um, uh, implication there was that there is a connection between God's heart, uh, his justice and mercy, and the orphan, and in the same way, there must be a connection between our communities and how we treat the orphan. There is a real connection there. God 
when 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 God um, blesses and reaches out the orphan, he is really connecting with the orphan. Uh, so in the same way, when we show mercy and justice to the orphan, we connect with the orphan. And maybe there's a principle here that for me is really important. There is, when, when there is connection, then there will be a difference. Without connection, there is no difference. Um, so when we really connect, we connect in justice and mercy uh, with the orphan, then a difference is going to be made. Um, in the third place, uh, what I share is that what I believe is that mission and vision of all churches should include mercy and justice for the orphan. It should be part of it, not just a, a side project. It should be really part of it. It should be part of the natural life of the local church. And now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine the implications of that? Let me just give you an example. In Costa Rica, uh, there are around 3,000 kids uh, in institutions. And we are around 4,000 churches. If each local church, you know, had a vision, ha well, have this as, as a vision in, in, in the heart um, of what uh, uh, it does, we would be a real solution to all Costa Rica, mm -hmm. to the government, and to all those kids, right. you know? So Absolutely. that's the idea. Um, fourthly, sometimes we think that the government has the best answer um, for the orphan, you know? But I think it shouldn't be so. It should be us. It should be the church. It should be the local church. We are the primary answer for the orphan. In justice and mercy, we should be the first ones um, up in the platform trying to reach uh, the orphan. Right. And finally, um, <coughs> I think that we have a kind of cultural problem in our local churches. When we try to develop a culture, let, let's say like that, a culture of justice and mercy to the vulnerable and to the orphan, uh, we have some obstacles. And I mentioned just two last night, and let me do that again. I think that we must fight uh, in our churches against the culture of consumerism. Right. You know, we are so used to buying things to invest in infrastructure, in buildings. And, and that's the case in Costa Rica too. Uh, and sometimes I get frustrated because I see that we invest uh, so much money in buildings and so on, and we invest so little in the orphaned or the or vulnerable children. And we have so much potential, <laughs> you know. And in the second place, I think that um, we must fight against the fear of suffering and the idea of being in control. That's so much part of our pop culture today. Right. And the thing is that it is impossible. Uh, that's what I believe. It is impo impossible to uh, get uh, really involved with the orphan and vulnerable children if um, we are afraid of leaving our comfort zones and if we are afraid of suffering. Uh, 
it will be inevitable to suffer and to leave our comfort zones um, when we try to help the orphan. Yeah, absolutely. That's part of the deal. That's absolutely. part of, of, of the menu. Mm -hmm. So that's what I shared uh, yeah. like night, uh, last night as part of my convictions. Um, and I have that in my heart. Absolutely. It's so good. And I know that several interviews we've had um, have talked about that, that we need to enter into the suffering or else we'll never be able to really flourish as human beings, let alone help others. So in our own flourishing, we need to enter into suffering. We need to become vulnerable. We need to embrace that. I know Andy Crouch early on in, our, in, the, in this podcast talked about in order to flourish, you need to have authority and vulnerability yes. in, in a mix. And we need to encourage others' authority as well that everyone has, God-given. Yes. It's not because of a position or anything. It's because we are created to create. And I think that we need to see that in people's lives as we can create flourishing yes. in others through that. Yes, and I would add, we are just, you know, what, what you say, yes, we are created to create, so we reflect God's image in us. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But doing that... And, 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 um, and for me, that's a really key idea. Doing that, we connect, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we connect in a significant way. That means that we uh, make a difference. Right. And we make a difference here mm -hmm. in, a in space and time, and we make a difference in eternity. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think I want to talk with you. I want to hear you talk a little bit about now. I mean, you, you, you laid out those five things and they all really center around engaging the church to really be the church, to be image bearers, right? To do what we're created to do. So how have you seen that done effectively, both from the, the side of a pastor? I mean, you did it in your church, but also from the side of coming in as an organizational leader, which many people listening to this podcast are leading organizations or part of organizations and we're all trying to figure out there's no secret formula that works with everybody, but what are some principles as far as really getting pastors, really getting, cause that's really what it's going to, it's got to come from the pulpit every Sunday in some way. Like, you know, we preach the gospel and this is, this is integrated. This is part of the DNA. So how can you make this truth yes. a part of the DNA of churches? Yes. Well, I would say that there is a word that is a key word for this and it's process. It's a process. Um, so I work with pastors, and what I have found is that it takes time mm -hmm. to really get pastors and churches involved. So it is important to know this because otherwise you will get frustrated. So it, it takes time, it is a process, it takes prayer, uh, and it takes a lot of dialogue. So what I do is that I um, start a dialogue with with pastors, you know, and we drink coffee. That's usually what I do uh, right at the beginning. I have a coffee um, and I share from my heart, really, uh, not from my mind. Well, I, I don't know how to say it. From a theological perspective, I, I try to start with my heart, you know. So I share with pastors um, what I've uh, experienced, um, what I belief is really important. So in the first place, it's a matter of passion and heart. Um, so I, I try to share uh, my vision with pastors. And then bit by bit, then I try to share some biblical principles. Because 
we are a Bible-based um, group. So we have to convince them about what the Bible says. And what I found is that, you know, when I go to a church or to, or to a pastor and I say, well, listen, uh, God is really interested in the orphan. We must do something. Usually they say, oh, yes, that's a wonderful thing. But what, but what I have found is that they don't really know. Right. They don't really know. And they need to know. I mean, they have read it in the Bible. They have heard, you know, James 1, 27. They have, they have read that and they have heard that it is important and it's a beautiful ministry. Sometimes even in a romantic way, you know, oh, this is really wonderful. But they don't really know. So they need to know. And, and you have to be prepared to share some kind of very concrete things uh, about what God says in the Bible about the orphan and vulnerable children. And that's a whole thing, you know. It's, um, and so I share about God's heart, about God's character. Um, I even go to the beginning of the Bible and make a connection with the whole thing of creation, salvation and the orphan. And something that for me is really important is that I share that this whole thing about the orphan, about caring the orphan, justice and mercy and so on, has to do with the identity of the church. So when a pastor starts to understand this, then he opens his heart. Um, and after that, I try to get the past, the the pastoral team, you know, maybe the elders, to really also hear about this. So I, I don't stay just with the pastor. You know, when the pastor says, I really like this, Arturo. I would like to do something about this. The next step is, is okay, let's go to the elders. Let's go to your pastoral team. Let's have a dialogue with them. Uh, and after that, then if they are still, you know, on the way, I say, why? Let's do something, Pastor. Let's get all the leaders of your church, the ones that are really working in your church, and let's share all this with them. And finally, uh, I share or we share with the whole church. Um, and the idea is that the leaders and the pastors and the lead pastor will keep sharing a few ideas uh, here and there through, you know, the whole year about this issue. Um, so I said it, you know, quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a long process. There's so much to um, that. And it, so and it takes that. time. Uh, but you have to share from the heart. You have to share from, a, from the Bible, from a theological perspective, um, and from a missiological perspective too. But also you have to be very practical. And that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. You have to give the church ideas of how to get involved. And you, and you have to be very practical. In my case, I have uh, the advantage that I am the development, the director of development of a ministry. And I can say to, uh, to the church, okay, I have here a tool. You can get involved uh, with the orphan, with vulnerable children in this way. But 
I usually give them some more ideas. Uh, beyond Casa Viva, beyond my own ministry. Yeah, so sometimes I'm not a very good, uh, <laughs> how do you do that? Uh, so salesman for the... Salesman, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Because sometimes I even share about <laughs> other ministries. Yes. And I say, if you don't do it with Casa Viva, okay. But you have to do it exactly. some way. Exactly. Do it with this way. Yep. Go to the government, get involved with institutions that the government has. Um, but do it yes. somehow. Because... This is not about Casa Viva, although we are involved. This is about God's heart, yep. about his character, and about the identity of the church. Right. Well, you're a great salesman for the kingdom. <laughs> right? Yes. Well, right. You know, so this is, this is, we're a team. We're, we're on the same team. And if wonderful. we're doing kingdom work, then that's what you're doing. And, that, and that's what I love about Casa Viva. I mean, it, it starts from the top at Casa Viva, too. Phil said to me, and I said, didn't you get you on the show? He said, no, you need Arturo. He's the man. <laughs> and, and I agree, but... I think that that is the heart of the ministry is, is really, we're a team, we're doing this together. There are people that are really, um, we need each other. Yes. And that's the one message Absolutely. that I keep, keep harping on on this show is we need each other. And um, on that note, can you quickly, just quickly give the uh, kind of elevator speech, so to speak, on Casa Viva and then how people can find out more about the incredible work Casa Viva is doing. Really, in Costa Rica, yes, but all over Latin. I mean, I think Phil's on the plane every other day, it yes. seems like, going yes. to different Sharing places, helping. What we do in Casa Viva. Yeah, and also helping other organizations know how to love every child as a child individually. So can you just share real quickly um, for the people out there who might not have heard of Casa Viva and then give the website or other ways to get involved? Yes. Well, uh, Casa Viva started uh, 12 years ago. It was founded by, by Philip and, and Jill, uh, his wife. And we introduced a new paradigm in Costa Rica. Um, so it was hard at the beginning. It was a whole process. But after 12 years, uh, more than 500 kids have gone through Casa Viva uh, in foster care uh, in many, many families. So that's what we do. We are the only ministry that does that in Costa Rica. So that's a privilege. We have been pioneering, uh, pioneers. Um, and so we work a lot with churches. There are around 30 churches in Costa Rica involved uh, uh, with Casa Viva. Most of our, of our families come from these churches. Right now, there are around 120 kids, you know, uh, in 110 foster families. So that's, uh, that's what we do. Um, and if you want to know more about Casa Viva, then maybe you can go and have a look uh, for us uh, on the internet, uh, www.casaviva.org. Uh, or, yeah. yep. And you will, you will find about us yeah, and, and, and how and to contact us. Absolutely. And, and I encourage you out there, if it, particularly anywhere in Latin America, if you're looking for expertise, if you're looking for encouragement, if you're looking for just some, a partner to walk alongside you, um, these guys are that. And I, I strongly encourage you to be able to do that. Um, last couple questions for you, Arturo. So thank you so much for your time here, man. I, I, I know we could talk for, for days about this. Um, and just hang out cause you're just a great guy to hang out with too. So, um, but, uh, you know, we do have time limits on these things, but the last couple questions, the first one, what have you read, uh, listened to or watched that has most impacted your thinking on, on how we can love orphan and at risk children with excellence? Okay. Well, actually Jet Medifin, the president of CAFO, 
It has been a real blessing to me. He has written different things and, and you can actually f uh, find them on the internet. Uh, but he's been a real uh, um, blessing to me. He has inspired me with his thoughts and so on. Uh, so I love that. Um, you know what? There is a person here at KFO that has been also, uh, uh, that has also been a blessing to me. And he shared last night, uh, he's uh, the psychiatrist, uh, Kurt, Kurt Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what he has shared here uh, at KFO has been a real blessing to me, mm -hmm. has opened my mind to different things, you mm -hmm. know. And he has written um, a few books, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, well, he's been a real blessing. And then I have a writer, um, which is Latin American, uh, Harold Segura. He works for World Vision. Okay. He's kind of the advocacy director mm -hmm. for Latin America. He has written a few books about um, children and theology and so on uh, from a Latin American perspective. Right. And he's been a real, real blessing to me. Very challenging. Um, he's always thinking uh, about the orphan, about children and so on. And the church um, and how also to be practical. Yeah. So Harold Segura, yeah. I don't know for, for, for all, uh, for, for you that speak Spanish uh, or read Spanish, uh, well, you can try to find uh, his. Well, we'll put, his, it, we'll put his, all these his on books, the show notes. Actually, so. and you can buy them on Amazon, actually. Am yeah, well. But he's a real blessing, too. Yeah, we'll have all that on the show notes. We'll, we'll have links to those, um, as well as the Casa Viva website as well. Uh, well, you mentioned a couple people, but I want to know if there's any, any other one person that is that is going to really impacted your thinking on how we can how we can do the work that you were talking about today. Okay. Well, actually, um, it's it's kind of more personal, mm -hmm. you know, more personal. Um, my wife, because she has an amazing heart. Uh, and she hasn't written uh, books, but her perspective, you know, have, have been wonderful. And I have a friend also who's, um, whose family is also a, a foster family. And uh, that friend has been a real blessing to me too, in so many ways. So it's not a book that I can recommend, right. but there's a point there and it's that Sometimes you find some of the most influential, influential things, not in books, but in conversations, in life, yeah. in life you know. Um, so. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again, Arturo. Um, again, I, I, I know if you're anything like me, you're, you're wanting more. And so we're going to leave you wanting more today. Thanks again, Arturo. Okay, you're welcome. It's been a real pleasure. So thanks again, Arturo, and uh, you know everyone out there. I'm I'm assuming that you're with me and, and just saying, man, I, I'd love to hear more from this guy. Um, you can do that. You can go to uh, Kfo um, from the summit last year. He spoke and he shared uh, more about what we talked about during the during the interview. That's what we were talking about. It was his talk from the Kfo summit last year. So you can go to that. We'll have that in the show notes. And uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit now too. So Karen, what what did you what did you learn from uh, Arturo that you want to talk about? 
Yeah, I actually remember, I didn't get to hear his talk at CAFO last year, but I remember hearing a lot of people referencing his talk and his five points that he was referencing related to justice and mercy for the orphan. And, you know, there's been pieces of my story. My husband was in ministry for quite a long time. And, you know, each part of um, each, like, ministry area that he was in, each church that we were a part of, um, you know, we had always tried to advocate for justice and mercy for the orphan. And one of the things that I'm super tracking with Arturo about is, um, you know, he said that a lot of times we think that certain governments or that the government of a certain country should be coming up with the answer and should be doing X, Y, and Z to ratify these problems. But, you know, he's really emphasizing that no, no, it's, it's us. It's the local church that has the answer. And, um, that just really resonated, um, with me. And I know some of the, the things that, um, in our ministry over the past, whatever, 15 years been, um, trying to do some of those same things too. Yeah. That was something that really, uh, you know, stuck out to me too. The, the idea of, you know, there's, you see, he, I think he put it, we have a culture problem in yeah. our church, right? Mm-hmm. In our local churches yeah. and the culture of consumerism yeah. and there's other cultural issues that, you know, he talked about and we all know, you know, and I think one of those is that, is that passing the buck culture, so to speak, right? And even, even in a, it's at the macro level, like he was talking about where we say the government should take it, but it's also on the micro level where within each church you have people saying, well, we're called to love the orphan and the widow and Sue and yep, Bill are doing that. Do and so therefore I'm doing it because we're part of the church. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not, you know, there, there is a corporate call, but there's also an individual call. Mm-hmm. And I think that we sometimes blend the two and that is something, or, you know, focus on the individual too much as well, you know? So I think that we need to see it as both. And he, I think he hit on some of the great way, you know, the, really the long-term process. You don't just change that culture. You don't just change that institution overnight, you know? Yeah. At, at my, yeah. yeah. That was relevant. I think that's something that we learned kind of the hard way of, you know, especially when we were in the middle of and had just finished with our adoption process with our two oldest kids. And, you know, we're on this super hype, you know, orphan care and foster care and adoption and training and, you know, God's call for, um, taking care of the fatherless. And I really appreciated how he said, I think what he said was I start with coffee and I was like, yes, bro. Like, yes. <laughs> right. Who doesn't start with yeah. coffee? Um, but yeah, yeah, just like, you know, of starting small and, and knowing that he's got to get, um, to the heart of the leadership and, and the pastors. And I, I think it really depends on the size of each church, whether or not it's going to be, you know, the main pastor or the elders or even someone else within the church that rises up to start some type of ministry. But I loved that he talked about how this is really like the identity of the church. And he had some other great ways of saying that more eloquently of how like the healthiness, I think he said something like, correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, like the healthiness of a church, like there's like this direct connection between the measure of like spirituality within a church versus how that church um, takes care of the orphan. Is that right? Yeah. Something along those lines. He actually said that both from an individual and a corporate uh, as well. Yeah. 
So, yeah, and, and I think that that's the, the connection, you know, that we're talking about and he's talking about really and, and how we can do that because he, he did say that. He says our, our love for the orphan and our spiritual our spirituality are intimately connected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's uh, – it's, it's absolutely – Absolutely true. I think, you know, and that, that it, it's been said in different ways. And I actually, in, in pursuit of orphan excellence, I, I, I talk about that. Tim Keller has had some great quotes on that. We've had some other, you know, Gary Haugen had a couple, you know, quotes from the book as well. And it, it's that idea that, you know, the, the, the gospel when lived out, it, you, you will care for the poor, you know, and I, and I say that in the book that if you are a Christian, you will love the orphan and the vulnerable in some way. Yeah. What that looks like, I don't know. I mean, there's a million different ways it could look, but you will care about them because if you are a Christian and God has transformed your heart, you will have his heart and his heart cries out for these children. And so that, that is another way of saying what, uh, Arturo was, was saying and was talking about and, and, uh, yeah. And, and the other thing you talked about was, and I think this, this goes to a lot of what, you know, I imagine you, you see, a lot in your practice, but he says we need to fight against the fear of suffering and oh, yeah. the, the need to be in control. Right. So, you know, speak to that for a minute. Yeah. I was really, when I was listening to him, I was really kind of fighting the, the urge because a lot of times when I hear, um, statements like that, which I'm tracking with him and I think he absolutely is accurate, but a lot of times I get a little bit nervous when I hear kind of a call like that, of we have to battle against like fear and we have to battle against, um, you know, the possibility of not being in control by bringing children into our homes. And, um, I tend to be on the other side and, and that's just because I think, um, of my career and the families that I work with, which you guys have heard me say over and over again, all too often families are entering into adoption, um, specifically long-term care for children, uh, with just kind of rose colored glasses and not understanding, um, the call. I think, with what he's saying is this isn't going to be easy. Um, of course it's not going to be easy. Adoption comes from loss. And when we're bringing kiddos into our home and we're committing to care for them, we are not only going to, um, you know, join with them in their suffering and their loss, but we're actually not in control of that. And it's going to impact our lives as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as always we could, we could talk more and more about what Arturo was talking about. But right now we're going to transition to what we talked about before. Uh, what I, you know, kind of introduce the idea of this, uh, these lessons that I learned in 2017. Um, and we're going to count down from, from number five. And these aren't really in order of importance. They're just, they're, they're lessons. And I learned other lessons, but these were ones that just really stood out and they kept coming up over and over and over again. And so again, if you want to go check out the blog, uh, post it's at thinkorphan.com and um, which is also where you can find the show notes if, if you didn't know that already so the the first one um, and and I Karen I'm assuming you're going to agree wholeheartedly with this <laughs> when I when I say it and most of them you probably will agree with but the first one is there are a lot of unique beautiful diverse kind hardworking and brilliant people all over the world and we agree on a lot more than we disagree and we have a lot to learn from each other when we actually listen and do life with each other. And uh, this is something that I learned over and over and over again. 
And I was reminded of it over and over and over again. Not that I didn't know it before 2017, but just every time I travel to a new country, every time I travel um, to a conference where I'm meeting people from all over the world. Last year, I had the, the privilege to go to India and Ecuador and Honduras again and over the last couple of years to Thailand and Cambodia, um, Peru. Uh, you know, just I was, I'm just blown away by the diversity of not just, you know, the, the settings actually are eerily similar around the world outside of languages on the buildings and different words. Like when you're in a big city, it feels like a big city in the, particularly in the developing world. It looks very similar. Um, the sounds are similar. Smells are similar. You got different foods, which tends to change the smells a little bit, but uh, you know, people are, are different, but it's a, it's a great different. And then people are the same in a lot of ways too. You know, hopes, fears, dreams. Um, you know, we have people who are, who are different personality types in these different countries and, and it's the, the different personality types don't vary that much. Um, and so I'm just learning from the people and then to see just the brilliance that comes out of these people. And like I was saying, I've told people this story, uh, our, you know, good friend, uh, Ian Forber Pratt, he's, he over in India, I was able, I had the amazing privilege and I talked a little bit about it before on the show to, to visit with his family, his wife's family in the, uh, in the slums of Delhi. And we went there one night and walked through the streets and there was a wedding going on right on the street. They just put up a tent and it was just a big party. And then we went in and had a cup of tea in, in his in-laws home and had a conversation there about politics, um, that I was, you know, blown out of the room with the, the, the brilliance and the wisdom and the, you know, the understanding of the issues, um, from his father-in-law who, you know, by standards in India, he's at in the lowest caste mm -hmm. and he's a guy that would have zero, so has zero social standing in India, um, because of the caste system. Wow. And yet this man is just brilliant. And so to see that and to see that in real life, I have story after story after story, but these are things that I just really get excited to continually be able to learn from people. And that's why I love the show because I can interview people all over the world and you can interview people, Karen, and we can, we can share that with people who may not ever get the opportunity to leave their country, whatever their country is. So, you know, I assume you agree with that, but yes. you know, push back if you don't. No, definitely. <laughs> um, I didn't know exactly where you were headed with that, but one of the first things that came to my mind, because I, I don't know all of the things that you've learned, um, I'm hearing this for the first time too, um, is I thought you were going to even reference the refugee crisis series. And I think that's absolutely something that I, I learned from that privilege and opportunity to be a part of that series is just learning um, just so much about diversity and, and so much um, about not the diversity piece, but the similarity piece within mm -hmm, the diversity mm -hmm. across the globe. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, that's the part I didn't, I mean, like I said, these are, these are books I could write on each of these, these lessons. But the other thing, and I had mentioned is, is we agree on so much more than we disagree on. And that's, 
I would say, I would venture to say that for literally everyone in the world. Like, I think you agree on at least more than you disagree on about life and just, you know, just whatever. But we tend to focus on the things that we disagree on and argue about those things and tend to divide rather than seek to unify. And that's something that, you know, I'm not all about, you know, we all believe the same thing and we all have the, you know, it's, it's not at all at all a Unitarian view or anything, right. a universalist view at all. I firmly believe, you know, in, in my Christian, you know, views of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that's the, that's the one way to God. And that's what I believe. And I will, I will go to the mat with that one where a lot of people, you know, they, that's not what they believe. And that's, that's okay from the context of doing life with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hope is we can, we can talk about that. But the thing is, if you start with those disagreements, that could literally cause wars as we know and we see. Yeah. But if you start with what do we agree on? Let's have a cup of tea. Let's have that cup of coffee like Arturo said, right? And we can say, wow, you know, I have no idea what all the things I disagree on with with Ian's father-in-law. But I know that we sat and had a great cup of tea and it'll be a memory I will never forget. Yeah, that's awesome. And we had some other conversations there too. So anyway, that's, that's really the... You know, what I hope we can take away from what everyone out there can take away from this is, you know, when you go into relationship, you know, try to find common ground. And, you know, one of my best friends here in Folsom does uh, mediation in the Middle East. And I asked him, how in the world do you do that with all the, you know, very, very strong views? And he says, we start with what they agree on and we go from there. And it's, it's just beautifully simple, but sometimes really complex in how you live it out. That's relevant. So sounds a lot like yep. um, some therapeutic techniques as well. So you've got a clinician mindset. You don't even know it. Well, you know, maybe I have a, another job I can do someday if, if uh, you know, if this doesn't work out. <laughs> we'll see. Probably not, though, because I don't want to go back to school for that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, right now. Without, you know, if I keep going, it'll, it'll go on and on and on. So I'm going to, I'm going to shut off there and we're going to, we're going to now go to the, uh, recommendations. Um, and I, I have another recommendation today. It's, it's, it's a, um, a book, it's a little book. So everyone out there can probably read it in like an hour or two, literally. And it's called Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. It's by Admiral William H. McRaven. It's based on his um, commencement speech that he gave at the University of Texas, um, which is also in the book. It, it, I actually listened to it and he read it and it was, it was fantastic. It's simple. It's quick. Um, the first, you know, first thing he talks about in the book is make your bed every morning so you will start every day with a success. You'll start every day with an accomplished task. And that's huge. The last one is never ring the bell, which comes from the Navy SEALs training, which they say, you know, if you want out at any time, just ring this bell. And basically the idea, never give up, never ring that bell. And so those are the kind of the bookend things. The, the other eight are phenomenal and the book is simple and fantastic. And I think that you can learn a ton from it. The other thing I will leave you with is what he talked about, which is what I want to encourage everyone out there to think about. He said, if you simply impact the life and change the life of 10 people and they change the life of 10 other people mm-hmm. and so on in 125 years. So in a few generations, that will be 800 million people that are impacted. And if you do a one more generation, it'll literally be the entire population of the world with 8 billion people that will be impacted by one life. So think about that. Think about 
that in the context of what we're talking about here, if you can impact the life of one orphan and vulnerable child, if you can impact the life of one other person who will impact the lives of other orphan and vulnerable children, you will do things that will have that ripple effect that will you will never see, but will have amazing, amazing impact. So I, I, I just really pray that you take this. Do you have any parting thoughts before I do that? No, Karen? I'm talking with you. I really like that. I, okay. I've heard, I've heard that, um, speech at the real UT University of Texas, not to yeah. be confused okay. with whatever the other one is. That okay. We're not going to get into that right now. Um, we got to We got to start with what we agree on. Oh yes. That was so <laughs> contradictory to what you said. Oh man. We are, I, I am, I am in agreement with, um, the tenants from make your bed and I didn't even know it was a book. So I'm excited to, to read slash listen to this even probably today. So yeah, good recommendation. Well, great. Well, great. Well, everyone out there, uh, thanks for thanks for the download. Thanks for being a part of this conversation. Thanks for engaging it. And I just pray that you take everything that you're learning with this um, and you use it to uh, think about how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.